It is uh, 27, almost 28 minutes after the hour, a therapeutic Thursday on hand here. And also on hand, Pastor Robbie Pruitt. Robbie's a, an Anglican pastor, lives in Virginia. He has his church in Fairfax, and uh, he's also the executive director of Preserving Bible Times. And, uh, Robbie, it's good to see you. you you've got me... You know, we, we kind of communicated before the uh, the conversation here, and Robbie, you just generate so much stuff. Uh, my mind is is overloaded already. I've got I've got I've got two things to. I, let's go with Mark eight. I like that suggestion. Uh, if we get to John five, it'll be a miracle though, because Mark eight is so packed full of stuff. In fact, the book of Mark scares me. I'd say it's my least favorite book. It's intriguing, <laughs> but it, it's like I'm a a child in a candy store, you know. It, yeah, it just moves yeah, well, moves too fast for me. Well, thanks for having me on, Jim. Always a pleasure to be with you on the Broken Road. I know we're missing David, but mm. it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here with you and and to talk about Mark's gospel. I just really appreciate your vulnerability and honesty because I think I think when we read the Bible, we almost feel like it's sacrilegious if I say I don't like a book. Mm. <laughs> but well. It, if we're honest, I mean, there are books that we, we like more than others. It's kind of like asking a parent, which, which of these children are your favorite? Mm-hmm. And you lo- love them all for different reasons, and certainly there can be a least favorite book. Well, and, and that speaks of the validity of the whole thing. These are eyewitnesses, especially the Gospels now. They, there are eyewitness accounts from, from four different perspectives, um, and, and for, one confirms the other which confirms the other, which confirms the other. Uh, but you need to keep in mind these are four distinct people. Now, Luke says he researched his book thoroughly. I have to presume he talked to the other disciples yeah. and, and, and gathered a lot of his material. A lot of his material must have come from Mark, which came from Peter, because Mark uh, ostensibly was, was kind of an amanuensis or a secretary for Peter and was with him for a number of years. And it, it, his book actually is so packed with stuff it reads like a, like a calendar almost like an appointment book like a like a diary uh, and i'm wondering if, if maybe that's how peter conveyed the information to him i don't know that that peter wrote all this down writing stuff down was not the norm back uh, in bible times you memorize things and um, so how this information was communicated opens up some possibilities in mark 8 there's a lot of traveling going on mark 7 mentions that jesus in is in the area of tyre uh, and sidon which is now lebanon these days mm. uh, that's northwest of the sea of galilee and then he comes to the to the galilee region to a place called dalmanutha scholars don't know where that is uh, there there's a, a a wild guess i guess maybe an educated guess that it's on the northwest shore of galilee but a number of, of things are described as, as, as happening there. There's the feeding of the 4,000, which was probably out by Bethsaida, which is the, the northeast shore of Galilee. So he was pretty much in his home territory through through all of Mark 8. Um, one yeah. mention—go yeah. ahead. And I would say that the uh, feeding of the 4,000 was actually in the Decapolis, more like the, the Gentile territories square east of, of the— uh, of the Sea of Galilee, because the the reason we had the feeding of the four thousand, a lot of people might not know this, but the reason the five thousand are fed. Now that might have been Bethsaida then. Yeah, that's that's the Israelites, and the feeding of the four thousand are the Gentiles of the Decapolis. So we're in the Galilee of the Gentiles, and specifically the Decapolis, the ten cities, and so Jesus goes there also, and there's so such a great crowd there because. 
He's already healed the demoniac. Ah, so this is and, after that then, sometime right. after that, because the Decapolis was forbidden territory for observant Jews. And yet that's where Jesus goes to heal the demoniac in, in Mark 5. So this is his evangelist. Remember, the guy wants to get in the boat and come with him, and he says, you know, you stay here and tell them everything I've done for you. Mm -hmm. So by the time he comes back, uh, there's at least 4,000 men here, let alone women and children who come and Jesus feeds them, and they collect seven baskets of leftovers, which is, of course, God's number for perfection. In the feeding of the 5,000, you have the 12 baskets, one for each disciple or one for each tribe of Israel, because, again, he's feeding the Jewish people, the Israelites. Well, that, that would make sense, because then it says he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmanutha, which would have been diagonally oh. northwest across from the Decapolis. Yep, uh, there you not go. Not far from Magdala. Okay, starting to come together. Well, let's let's go back to the the four gospels here, and you're not liking Mark because. <laughs> well, it's not a matter was, of liking. It's just it scares me, you know. Yeah, it it well, it, it's a scary book. It reminds me of, um, you know, there are certain genres of movies that I like more than others. Like there, I don't like action films. Hmm. I like uh, dramas. I like to watch a, a drama unfold. And so I'm drawn towards Luke's gospel because it's more narrative. It's more in motion. It's more capturing Jesus's humanity. More chronological Luke, too, isn't it? Yeah. So Luke is actually trying to give you a snapshot of Jesus's humanity. Uh, John's trying to give you a snapshot of Jesus's divinity. Matthew's trying to show you that Jesus is um, Jewish. He's trying to show you that he's the Messiah. He's the Jewish Messiah. And Mark is writing to a Roman audience, and he focuses on certainly action. He focuses on authority. So you've got uh, the casting out of a lot of, of demons in Mark's gospel, which will play into some of our conversation when we talk about Mark 16, 8, and the ending of Mark. But Mark is action-packed. So when I think about Mark, I remember um, going with some friends to see a Transformer movie back, I guess, about a decade ago when those movies came out. And the special effects of the, that movie was so overwhelming and abrasive to me. I mean, it just seemed like I was my body, my eyes were exhausted from watching mm -hmm. this movie. I, was, I felt fatigued and tired, yet I was just sitting right there in the uh, stadium seating of the theater. And the reason that was is because the action and the movement was nonstop. And the way the cinematography and the effects were done, things were coming at me. Now, let me ask nonstop. this question, because I have a point here. Do you do you remember the plot? No, I, I, I can't. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I can't even dazzled, tell you. I mean, dazzled I, by I, the special effects. It's like Super Bowl commercials that yeah, usually exhibit a, an ad agency's most creative side, but doesn't sell much in the yep. end, you know? Yep. And, and and Mark, well, Mark so, moves fast. I mean, it's concise. It's this little tight, tightly written bits of information, factoids that, that, yeah. uh, that challenge you uh, to, to analyze and, and to, to understand and to, to absorb this stuff. So, and, and, uh, chapter eight is, is, is one where there's a lot of traveling. He goes to Decapolis and Delmanutha. They said, say Caesarea Philippi. And in, in Mark, that's explained a little differently, uh, than in other books. And I, and 
I, I can't quote, I don't know which other books, but this one, this account does not mention the gates of hell and give us clues as to where they were physically in front of that cave in Caesarea Philippi. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get it, just the, the fast-moving nature of Mark. Uh, but again, Mark is the source gospel for the synoptics, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are the synoptic gospels, and Mark is the first gospel written. Uh, Dr. Randy Smith uh, thinks that it was written around 65. Mm-hmm. It, could, it could have been written anywhere between 55 and, and 65 A.D., so it's the earliest gospel written. Most likely, Luke has a copy of Mark when he writes his gospel in around 75. Matthew has a copy of Mark's gospel when he writes his gospel anywhere between 70 and 85. So Mark is the first gospel written, so it's almost cliff notes. <laughs> it's almost mm-hmm. like gospel and cliff notes, or to, to, the way you put it, concise. I mean, I think about um, what Mark Twain said. He said, if I had... I had more time, I would have said less. Mm-hmm. And so I really well, only sixteen chapters in Mark, and right. and the last part of the Mark is of Mark is 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 in dispute as as having been in the original manuscript. Now there are ancient manuscripts of Mark, but there are no original manuscripts of any of the Gospels. So how far back do we go with Mark? Second, yeah, third so century, maybe. Yeah, so it's even shorter. Mark's shorter than we thought it was. Mm-hmm. If if you hold to the oldest manuscripts, not possessing uh, verses nine through the end, then Mark is shorter than what we thought, and so basically, the King James version was using some of the the medieval manuscripts and includes the ending. If you look at the ESV, there was so much controversy especially around more charismatic um, denominations and uh, churches, when the ending was taken out of some of the more literal translations like the ESV, it was met with such controversy, and people were not buying those Bibles. So what the publishers did was put a footnote into Mark's Gospel. So if you look at the ESV, like if your listeners just go over to BibleGateway.com and, and type in Mark 16, English Standard Version, you'll get a parenthetical statement that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 16, 9 through 20, and then it goes on to include, not, not excuse me, 9 through 20, and then it goes on to include 9 through 20. So they put it back in with the parenthetical statement that yeah, says... They, they, they the, whisper the it, it seems to me. It's yeah. like, by the way, you know. I, yeah, exactly. This doesn't belong here. Now, mm. I, made a, I made the point, and we've talked... We began to talk, talk, talk about this a little bit on our show on February the, the 1st. About three weeks ago, we were talking about Mark's Gospel. We were talking about the healing, and you brought up the Great Commission, and we went to the end of Mark. And then you began to talk about this ending, and one of the points that I made was, well, we have the Great Commission. We have a version of the Great Commission here in Mark's Gospel. We also know it's not in contradiction to the Great Commission that we see in Matthew and Luke. That's true. And and we also see that the ending of Mark, let's just say verses 9 through 20, 
Um, let, let's you, you just look at those verses. Those verses don't sound like Mark. They use words that Mark does not use throughout his gospel. The tone is different. Um, the word usage is different. And it definitely seems like a later editor came and added it or put a later manuscript there. But it doesn't contradict the rest of Mark. I mean, even what uh, what's being said about healing, the Great Commission, uh, Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene, we know from other the other synoptics that this is happening, Jesus appearing to the two disciples on the road, that's the Emmaus Road account from Luke's Gospel. Should we be offended that this has happened? Well, is this a violation in, of, of of Scripture? No, this is this is a book that was started to be written, you know, three thousand four hundred years ago by forty different authors over the course of fifteen hundred years. The Bible as a whole, yes. Yeah, and so then. It's translated and and passed down for thousands of years. And so there are nuances here that we need to recognize that it should actually cause us to work harder in our reading and our study. Because there are nuances like this throughout Scripture that doesn't change the core meaning. It doesn't need to cause us to doubt. One of the things that you said, you know, this idea that we we don't have one account. We have four accounts of Jesus's life, teaching, and ministry. So why not study all four of these accounts in concert? Let me give you, let me give you another analogy for this. Uh, one of my favorite bands growing up was Led Zeppelin. And Led Zeppelin came out with so many albums from Led Zeppelin 1, 2, and 3 all the way to, you know, Physical Graffiti and then Coda. And you could actually go and listen to concert footage. They had bootlegs of Led Zeppelin's concert footage. Now, does that undermine the uh, original studio recordings of Led Zeppelin's albums? No way. And even now, Jimmy Page, has the guitarist of Led Zeppelin, has remastered all of Led Zeppelin's works. So now I can listen to the original recordings, I can listen to remastered recordings, and I can go back and listen to bootleg live concert recordings, which, by the way, are terrible in terms of quality. But the nuance and how they interpreted and played those songs are phenomenal. And so when we talk about studying the Bible, we can get lost if we drill down too deep in any one of these Gospels and never leave. I think we have to listen to them, all four of them, in concert. And I think that that's where, when, be it like a, a scribal notation— or a Cliff Notes version of Matthew's ending and Luke's ending that was later in the medieval times uh, added to the end of Mark to make it seem so less abrupt? Well, let me ask you this, and this is a hard question. Let's look at the end of, of uh, Mark, verses 9 through 20. Can we assume, should we believe, that these were inspired by the Holy Spirit as well as the original? Well, 
for Mark's gospel, maybe the answer is no. Because the, 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 just the history of the Bible and how humans yeah. have handled it is of great right. interest, and it's, it, that's instructive. But what, what, would these things, well, John 5, you brought me to John 5, and, and I went looking for verse 4 in the English Standard Version, and it's <laughs> not there. Yeah, it goes from right. verse 2 to verse 5, or 3 to yeah. 5. What's up? So What's what up here, Robbie? Well, exactly. This, and, and the reason I pointed out John five verse four to you is this is happening in John's gospel. I'll give you another place where it's happened that's been controversial is John chapter eight. Some of some of the manuscripts of John's gospel doesn't include John eight and the uh, woman caught in adultery. Hmm. That particular text is, has been debate, debated by many scholars, and including the, the King James Version of the Bible, which includes um, John 4, um, excuse me, John 5, verse 4. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the ESV, it's not there. You get another footnote that says that the earliest manuscripts uh, do not include it. Now, there has been found a scribal notation about the stirring of the waters and the healing of the the man at the pool, the sheep pool, and the scribe is trying to explain why the how the waters could be miraculously stirring, and he writes in the the angel Raphael. He said, "For an angel comes down and stirs the water." Well, in the apocryphal books of Tobit. We have the account of the angel Raphael, who's the angel of healing. And this angel has been known in a tradition had been carried down that the angel Raphael would stir waters. And so the scribal notation somehow got written into the text during translation. But again, it doesn't change the meaning. And if you understand the archaeology, you understand that the pools of Bethesda were were actually a mikvah. The southern pool was a mikvah. The northern pool was the holding an uh, additional pool which held the waters from the spring, and then it flowed into the southern pool. And that actually, there's a natural phenomenon that explains it that we've discovered in the recent archaeological. The natural phenomenon explains the cyclic stirring of the water. Yeah, the flowing of the water. Absolutely. And you need that flow of water for it to actually be a mikvah, because the water has to be living. That, that, that is moving, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that there is a natural explanation for the stirring of the waters. This is what I actually did my master's thesis on, was this verse, this missing verse. Now, back to the end of Mark, uh, I would just say, we have the Great Commission in, in Matthew's Gospel. So... Should we be offended of the new, quote, new ending of Mark, or is it inspired, I think, is the question you were asking. I would say yes. Is it inspired here in Mark? Not necessarily, if it, if it doesn't belong here, if this wasn't the original manuscript. However, if you look at it in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, Matthew has 28 chapters, the Great Commission is there. So if the Great Commission is there and what's written in Mark is the same, there's no problem there. 
There's there's oh, no contradiction. There's no contradiction. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the problem is that you know whoever writ, wrote it in actually stopped the flow of Mark. Mark is intentionally leaving you hanging. He's he's writing with an an intentional purpose. So like it, if I write a poem and I die and somebody discovers my poem or when I die they write a new ending to my poem that cease that ceases to be my poem in some regards it, it certainly isn't my ending now this speaking of endings this happens in Deuteronomy we believe most conservative students of the bible scholars believe that Moses writes the Pentateuch. Moses writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Well, how in the world do you reconcile the fact that Moses' death is written about and his burial at the end of Deuteronomy? Somebody has added that. Because dead people don't write endings to their books. I mean, that's my point, right? Mm -hmm. So... Someone has added that, but we're not questioning the validity of Deuteronomy. We just know that the, because of what you said earlier about how we get our Gospels is oral tradition, and then eventually they're written down. So what I tell people, and you know, the scholar Simon Greenleaf agrees, he says that, you know, and he's a lawyer by trade, he says, we can trust the validity of the Gospels not because they're all alike or not or a carbon copy of one another. We can trust them because of their variances. So the variances is okay. So I would say if somebody, you know, took Simon Greenleaf at his word and knew that the variances were okay, they they would have been comfortable with Mark kind of leaving you hanging at verse eight. <laughs> But, well, in, in in terms of the Old Testament, it's logical to, to to mention the death of Moses by someone who around the campfire is 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 reciting Leviticus for the nth hundred thousandth time to an audience that knows it by heart, but it needs a conclusion. Moses died. It would have been natural to include that. And then generations later, that would have been included in the retelling and the retelling. And therefore, when it got written down, was included. That's not a problem. Yeah. So if you lose track of the earliest manuscripts of Mark, and by then Matthew and Luke have used Mark to write their gospel accounts, and they include the Great Commission and the Road to Emmaus, and then later translation, someone in, in a later manuscript has included this other ending for whatever reason, and they've actually included the Great Commission, and they've included this uh, brief telling of the road to Emmaus. Now, there is a, a peculiar account of drinking poison and not dying and handling snakes and not dying in Mark's gospel. Mm -hmm. And while that's peculiar to us, and, you know, I'll make note that no other gospel has that, it's not an uncommon thing, or, what you know, the point I made is this happens to Paul when he's shipwrecked on Malta, and he's bitten by a serpent and he doesn't die. And so I made that reference in our show earlier this month, at the beginning of the month. You know, there, there, this, this relates to another story in the Bible when, when Jesus talks about 
drinking his blood and eating his flesh, and the audience is offended. Mm-hmm. And, and we're kind of shocked, too. Why That, that seems so out of character. Just, just where did that come from? Well, it turns out there was a cult in Ephesus who did just that. And so he was, he was in, in, in essence, drawing a parallel to that and saying, this is, this is, this is the true bread and the, the, true, the true life. The, it's, it's, you know, that other stuff is, 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 a, is a world apart from, from Jesus' account. But it, his audience would have known that. And yeah, some, some and, of them and what you're benef- quoting is John 6. I mean, mm-hmm. you're quoting a passage of John 6, the Bread of Life Discourse, where this is unique content to John's gospel. This isn't in any of, of, of the other gospels. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Bread of Life Discourse and the offense and the many people choosing to leave Jesus is only in Mark chapter 6. Well, and John was writing to— I mean, excuse to, me, John chapter 6. I said Mark. Sorry. Writing to, to counter um, syncretism. And 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 uh, uh, what's the word? I'm missing the word. Uh, new age, yes. new age stuff. Uh, he would have been pointed, pointedly discharging non-reliable information. Uh, well, what's the word I'm missing? Gnosticism. Yes, Gnosticism. Exactly. So, yeah. So each of these gospels have an agenda, and it's important to understand that. And that's probably why we should be more put off by whoever added the additional verses to Mark's gospel. Hmm. Um, Because by doing so, to use the poem analogy, somebody putting a new ending to a poem, when this person adds Mark 16, 9 through 20, they're changing the flow of the gospel, they're changing the length of the gospel, and they're changing the author's intent. And that this, they wouldn't have had the same motivation. Exactly, the or author. the same words. I mean, the word is, uh, the scholarship here is pointing out that this ending is using words that Mark hasn't used in the rest of his Gospels. So it's different. It's very different. And a good article uh, to read on this, if, if your listeners uh, want to study further, is gotquestions.org, Mark 16, 9 through 20, uh, should Mark nine, nine verses nine through twenty be in the Bible? Mm-hmm. And so here, some of this is pointed out that these uh, later, that these earlier Greek manuscripts do not include the ending, and that um, it, the words are different. And so the the words used, the title Lord that is used in verse nineteen is not used anywhere else. Uh, verses 17 through 18 doesn't appear in any other of the four gospel, uh, any of the uh, gospels, mm-hmm. and so uh, there's no, and no account post-resurrection Jesus. Is there any discussion of signs like picking up serpents? So that's that's the really kind of different. This picking up serpents and the poison piece is probably these two pieces of the end of Mark are the most different. Though I would add there is biblical precedence for it in Acts. Hmm. And I would suggest that if you're reading the Bible and you come across something like this and it gives you problems, it's a, it's a, it's a signal, it's an alert to do more research, to work harder. And don't jump to conclusions about yeah. validity or invalidity. Yeah, um, question the text. Study hmm. deeper. Yes, you know, exactly. Explore the questions. 
Ask questions the text. That's one of some of Doug Greenwald's best advice. And uh, uh, speaking of Doug, the founder of Preserving Bible Times, Robbie now the executive director. He puts out the newsletter every month, sometimes a couple of them a month. Um, you can sign up for that newsletter. It's, it's called uh, Between the Lines. And Preserving Bible Times, their website, preservingbibletimes.org. The newsletter is free. You'll look forward to it every month in your email, and we suggest a visit to their website. Again, preservingbibletimes.org. Robbie, thanks so much. We learned stuff today. That's what we look forward to when you join us. So um, here's to next week. Joy to be with you, Jim. Look forward to being with you next week, you and David. And thanks so much for having me on the Broken Road. Thank you, Robbie. Bye-bye.